You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Welcome. Welcome, Johnny. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. We're going to start with reading some scripture, and then I'll offer you a message that I hope encourages you. This is from John 16, 12 through 15. Let's get a volunteer to read this short little passage from the farewell discourse at the end of the Gospel of John. Who wants to do it? All right, Nicole, you're up. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Thank you, Nicole. Let's pray before we keep going. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. It's Trinity Sunday, and it's the Sunday that some preachers try to explain the Trinity to their congregation. Um, and it's a large prospect. Um, and and you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you'll come to understand soon why this is a tall order. Um, I read somewhere today that we should just throw away the whole Sunday because no one explains it very well. You know, which of course begs the question, if it's so hard to explain, why is it? Like, what's up with it? Why is it so important if no one can explain it? And then if you try to explain it, like, why are you a heretic? Like, you're a heretic. So how is this whole thing working? Why is it important? In the scripture we read, and a few others we'll get to as well, you get a whisper of something that, something that is happening. You know, well before, well after John 16 was written, we came up with the idea but here you see this, 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 these three persons that God is, Jesus, the Spirit, and the Father, working together or being together or being one in a way that um, might be confusing to even know what, what, what exactly is happening. You know, Jesus will come, ascend, and then the Spirit will descend, and then they're all wrapped up with the Father too. How does this work? What does it mean? Let's just start with understanding what the basic uh, idea of the Trinity is. It's a piece of doctrine that was finalized by the 4th century, 325 specifically, that describes the nature of God. A lot of doctrine that we subscribe to comes from a certain period of time where Christianity was forming in the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th centuries, 5th centuries, where we have ideas about who we are, they had to draw rigid kind of boundaries around our faith so that we had a sort of identity and that we weren't just mixed in with other, other beliefs and other systems and you know didn't just get subsumed into Greco-Roman philosophy or just um, Judaism either. So there was some distinction that sort of needed to happen. Um, and the church was given authority to make this 
to make these distinctions. And they served a sociological and religious and political purpose at the time. And we look back and at these doctrines with great, and profit from them greatly now, even if we learn new ways to put them into our context. By the fourth century, they used a chapter in Genesis, this is a little bit too, too, too uh, small right now, a chapter in Genesis 18 in the Great Commission of Matthew 18, they drew some conclusions about the nature of God. Right in the first, in the, uh, first council of Nicaea, who was called, called together by uh, Constantine, the first Christian Roman Empire. And it was the first assembly to represent all, uh, all of Christianity. And its biggest accomplishment was defining the Son of God, Jesus, and how Jesus relates to God the Father. This piece of theology in um, the Council of Nicaea eventually influenced the doctrine of the Trinity. And the doctrine of the Trinity holds that God is three, this is a word that we never use, but I'm gonna say it to you. Three consubstantial persons. The Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. One God and three divine persons. The three persons are distinct, yet they're of the same substance or essence or nature. And in this context, a a nature is what one is. A nature is what one is, but a person is who one is. And those two differences matter. They are consubstantial. You know, that sounds a little complicated, right? Too many damn pages for any man to understand, right? And that's because it is. It meant to be a certain explanation of how God works. But I've always easier to, found it easier to say that one image, it's one image used to describe God. And not one that we need to master in all of its intricacy, but rather one we should know because it might be useful or helpful to us. For Jewish people, it was elemental for their God to be the only God worthy to be worshipped. And even early on, even when Jewish people were conscious of gods around them, they practiced allegiance to God. They didn't necessarily refute the existence. So they were monolatrous. They identified other gods, but had one God worthy of worship. Eventually, they became monotheistic which means there is only one God. So they moved from one God to be worshipped among many to just one God at all. But they were very focused on a singular God to worship. Nevertheless, their God was significant, right? Because God's supremacy existed over all the other gods. No one is like the God of Israel. Who is like you? The psalmist says, This is an actual comparison to other gods. Who is like the God of Israel? And so they were committed to the God of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph as the supreme God to be worshipped. But when we get to the New Testament, like we were reading in Matthew 28 or John 16, there's a strong idea that God's spirit and God's son are seemingly separate entities. It's a complicated problem. Because in the Old Testament, there's definitely reference to God's spirit, and to the spirit of God. But here you have Jesus talking about a spirit as if the spirit's separate. 
So that's the more, in the Old Testament, they're kind of merged together as one idea. But in the New Testament, you have this distinct person in Jesus Christ talking about the Spirit separately, talking about the Father separately. It's a complicated problem. If there's one God, then why do the New Testament writers speak as if there are others? How does this work? If there's one God worthy to be worshipped, why are there three? So this idea of a triune God came about, and it was a way to marry two different groups of people. A way to maintain the importance of the single God to be worshipped, while also reconciling that, the idea with the incarnation of Jesus and the descent of the Spirit at Pentecost. They were trying to hold the church together. There's political reasons to do that, but also reasons to keep something cohesive, and so we came up with a particular way to talk about God called the Trinity. And there's no really, we have to use this language because there's no very good analogy to describe the Trinity while maintaining these religious and political ideals that are important for the time and place, right? The Trinity isn't like an egg with a shell and then the white and then the yolk. That's not the Trinity, okay? It's not a fidget spinner. Remember those? I don't think, I don't think they exist much anymore. It's not Neapolitan ice cream. Are you familiar with this flavor? This chocolate vanilla strawberry. <laughs> it's not like that. It's not like, it's not, it's, so it, the, um, the analogies fall flat. Um, do you have any questions so far? <laughs> yeah? Okay. I have a general resistance to people telling me how God is working in the world. So like even, even like, and I'm such a biblicist sometimes that I'm like, well, I don't know if the Trinity is totally in the Bible, you know, because we're drawing on this council's conclusion. Um, but I think it's helpful to look, o- look on this because there's something, um, there's something good about receiving it, but I think approaching it with some skepticism and some questions is good because there's something that isn't so good as making sure that everyone who is in your church abides by official um, explanations and everyone who doesn't is a heretic. You know, when we were doing the Pledge of Love earlier, what was interesting to me was it was about our heart condition, about our character, about who we wanted to be, as opposed to what we believed. You know, we're not giving you a creed to recite and then you recite it and then you're good. You know, it's about what we're doing together. And so less about what we think and more about what we're doing, who we are. We want to have dialogue about ideas, but also care for each other in our own bodies, care for our neighbors, and not let those ideas get in the way of people. So we can have a rich place to have different thoughts and concepts But if we're moving on the same mission, moving in the same direction, that's better. If we have the same common purpose, if our goal is to love God and love one another, is to love our neighbor as ourselves, then let's figure out how we're going to do that. And if this doctrine is useful, then good. And if it's not, we don't have to focus on it too much. For us, I think Jesus centers us, right? I think Jesus is what holds us together. Not a set of doctrine, not creeds, not a rule book. You know, so rather than using the walls 
to protect us, our centeredness on Jesus does. And we're privileged because we can say that Jesus centers us. In the fourth century, it was harder to say that for a lot of reasons because there was no real definition. So we are indebted. There's gratitude that we give to the early church for how they formed us. And now we're in a different place. Cementing Christianity as one thing, laying the groundwork for imperial Christianity, overcodifies us. You know, when you look at a doctrine like the Trinity and you see two different ideas, a monotheistic faith and what appears to be a polytheistic something being merged together, what's actually happening in the theology, I'm using a contemporary term now, I would say the theology is being uh, queered. It's being mixed together. It's being confused. It's not made rigid. But we came up with a kind of rigid theology out of it. When in reality, what they were doing was coming up with new ideas. And rather than subscribe strictly to what they said, we should model what they're saying and find useful theologies now and continue to uh, queer theology, to, to uh, um, break out of binaries and, 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 rigid, and rigidity and actually continue to imagine God because God is much bigger than our minds. And so theology and doctrine is a tool to help us understand God and to see God, but not to define God, right? So when we do theology together, we're doing it as a way to include, to consider others, to imagine together, not to actually put constraints on us. So now we're being affected by different people in different contexts and we can do that. Too often we use theological statements as a tool to make sure people pass a litmus test. So we fear bad or faulty or problematic theology will harm the integrity of the church. And so we're cautious against that, but I want to welcome that. You know, Christians are often too prepared to draw borders that keep one another out of each other's churches. To the detriment of the church, to the detriment of Christianity, So when I see someone who's out of step with my thinking or theology, which my theology is largely orthodox, I think, but still claiming Jesus and claiming to be a Christian, who many of you are open to the possibility of this? That's why you're probably at a meeting like this. You know, I see someone who might be challenged by orthodox thinking, but who wants to stay in. I see someone, oh, you're trying to stay in. You're trying to be here. You're trying to be connected, even if you're not sure how it all works. So I want to make a space for holding people together that have different ideas about God. As long as we're moving on the same common mission towards loving others, loving our neighbors, loving God, right? That's the, that's the main goal. And then how we get there can be diverse. You know, some people would look at me and say, you know, this is a, like a gateway drug to like atheism or something like that. Like you're going you're gonna, this, is, this, is, this is what's wrong with your liberal theology or whatever. Like People are going to lose their faith without having these constraints. But on the contrary, I think that too much rigidity tends to break faith. People don't have flexibility to move and grow into new things because they think if it didn't fit into this mold that I grew up with or that it was on TV or whatever, then that pushes people away. The Trinity is a tool that we can use Today, that can still be useful, though. That can still draw people in. So rather than trying to figure out what the Trinity is by trying to explain this very inexplicable piece of doctrine, 
What does the Trinity, te- what does the idea of the Trinity teach us about God? I, I believe in it, but I think it's less useful to consider its intricacies and more useful to consider its communal teaching. So like, if the Trinity is like a car, I'm not as interested in like the nuts and bolts of the car. I want to like drive the car. You know, that's, that's more how I want to approach it. So the doctrines and the tools are helpful, but I want a, a narrative approach. I want to get somewhere. I think story helps. Let's see if some theology can't get us there. All right, we're, we're going to keep going. Everyone cool so far? I have pictures that I didn't use. Preston? This is something you can, this kind of looks like a fidget spinner. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but they are not one another, okay? Do I have Carl Barth next? There, Carl Barth, how do you like this? Influential 20th century theologian who was trying to figure out how the Holocaust shouldn't happen again. Right, that was the big, that was the big process for 20th century American theologians. He called the Trinity of the Triune God an indissoluble object. One of the threefold repetition. God is represented in a holy uh, tautology. Tautology means a repetition, right? A phrase or expression in which the same thing is said twice in different words, a tautology. You know, this, this kind of sameness or logic of the same, right? Could be a nice definition, but it doesn't really go far in application. So I, this is, this is, this is, this is a, a, um, an orthodox understanding of this. Sorry, these slides are too big. They were smaller on my, on my screen before. I want a social understanding of the Trinity. When we begin to understand the Trinity as three distinctions with one essence, nature, or subject. When we can understand them as, diff, as, as cooperating as different people on the same mission. The Trinity is, teaches us how to embrace one another in community. Karl Barth will say in a social way that God is, that in God there is a counterpart, a genuine but a harmonious encounter in self-discovery, a free existence and cooperation, an open confrontation and reciprocity. I don't think he went far enough because he didn't take the idea of God cooperating with diverse expressions of God's self to how we should relate. God wasn't modeling to us how we should be how we should relate. And he, went, he, he was even worse because he created a sexist image of God. He used the Trinity to argue for grounds to subordinating women to men. And that kind of explains some of his own sordid legacy. So he, he, he did eventually do something with it and it was sexist. We have to be careful when we talk about how God relates to God's self that we don't fall into patriarchal or heterosexist particularly understandings, which even the traditional view of, of the Trinity could do that, but also this social understanding that I'm going to unpack could also um, have heterosexist tendencies. Um, do I have Ratzinger up here? Ratzinger, Joseph Ratzinger became Pope Benedict um, grounded his theory of the Trinity as a dialogue with God, an old idea from Augustine. How God relates to God is best seen through the person of Jesus, the Son of God. In John, Jesus says that the Son can do nothing on his own. He is, com- he is completely open. And we see this openness and the act of self-giving that demonstrates 
that the Father fills the Son. That's why Jesus can say the Son can do nothing on his own, but also say that whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is subordinating himself to God the Father, according to John and how the Pope understood it. This is complicated, but when you see God that way as giving of the self to other, the presence of the other in self, you can begin to see how we can radically cooperate as a community, as self-emptied people giving ourselves to one another. It doesn't work if it's hierarchical, if only some people are giving to others, it only works if it's equal. Miroslav Volf says, by suggesting that the persons are never just themselves, but harbor in themselves others to whom to give themselves in love, the two ideas suggest a complete, complex and dynamic understanding of identity. The issue is the complete self-giving love of the son isn't very mutual, even if we try to make it. If the son is completely self-giving to the father, that could create oppressive circumstances if we try to model that behavior. We like the idea of a self-emptying God that is humble in posture and, 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 and letting go of power and privilege to meet us where we are. We have to be careful with kenosis, self-emptying, and how we apply it. Because we could approach women and other minorities and tell them, well, you need to continue your self-giving love. Well, a lot of us have already given ourselves. And there isn't a lot more to give. And so we want other people to start giving. The lack of mutuality in Ratzinger's idea could create more inequity. The father is everything, the son is nothing. So can we learn to be self-giving without losing ourselves? Can we hold and embrace something else without slipping into inequity and inequality? Jürgen Moltmann, who's a big teacher of the Trinity, says, teaches us that the Trinity shows us that there are no persons without relations. No relations without persons. We aren't relationships, but we can't exist without them. The relationships in the Trinity, if we see it properly, are not hierarchical. They're equal. They're sharing power, even giving it to one another. Maltman says that the Father constitutes the Son and gives the Son all glory and power. And if you go back to John, you'll see that Jesus says the same about the Father. So rather than dissolving ourselves as we embrace others, rather than becoming nothing, we are seeking to glorify the others, other for ourselves and make room for them as equal parts. There, is a, there isn't a passive member and an active member. We do it together. We're not colonizing one another. We're not violating one another. The Father is the Father not only because he is distinct from the Son and the Spirit, but also through the power of self-giving. The Son and the Spirit dwell in him. The Father self-gives so that the Spirit and Son can dwell too. And the same is true of the Son and Spirit. We want to create a community that is mutually self-giving. Mutually edifying in that way. Big ideas, right? Let's bring them back down to earth. Jesus does that. He came in the form of a person and he brought down the radical relationship he has with the Spirit and the Father. God came into the world so as to make human beings created in the image of God living with one another 
to live with one another and with God in the kind of communion in which divine persons live with one another. God came into the world so as to make human beings created in the image of God live with one another and with God in the kind of communion in which divine persons live with one another. God is showing us in the person of God, how to, in the persons of God, the three persons of God, how to relate together as a body. I hope that this can inspire us to learn how God relates and how to begin to relate to one another. The origin of the Trinity is about reconciling people and helping them relate. Theology helps us to better understand God and follow God better. That's the purpose. The purpose is that has a practical end. Both the rational for the rationale for a, for a doctrine like the Trinity and also the content helps us provide that. Rather than just understand the ideas, I pray that we can live in a way that shows the world that God is alive in us and that we're relating to one another. So I hope that we can relate to one another in a self-giving way, in a relational way, in a way that makes room for the other right in us. That means across gender, across racial, cultural, economic, religious lines, and and this month in particular, we're thinking across lines of sexuality too. There's a lot more we can say when it comes to sexuality about how God relates to one another because you can see even in the social trinity there's a sexuality to it that could help us understand queer relationships too. But that's the subject for another talk. But you can see how expansive this can be to our context. So I hope that we can relate to each other that way. And if we can be that kind of church, we can really show the world the love and embrace of Jesus. And then maybe you'll even do some teaching about the Trinity. So let's pray, and then we'll do some talk back, shall we? Oh God, three in one, may we follow in your way. May we relate to one another as you relate to yourself. May we self-give and be filled with one another. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.